morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a bellless hour of the Danger Zone. I am here. I'm Jason Marlowe. I'm here with my good friend, Colin Sherwin. Say hello to everybody, Colin. Uh, Jason, good to be here, my friend. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am without coffee, but I am here. We have made it to uh, Your to endurance WMS. is legendary. I mean, like, I've seen it. I've seen this man survive things that would have killed a lesser man. Uh, so real quick, just to introduce everybody, uh, I'm Jason Marlowe. You might remember me as the singularly most memorable member of Down and Dirty, but I'm happy to be here hosting The Danger Zone with my good friend Colin. Uh, for myself, I've worked at Florida Politics at all levels, City of Tampa, Hillsborough County, and the state, and I'm looking forward to helping share some information and stories that uh, just aren't getting covered enough. And uh, Colin, why don't you introduce us? Introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, I am the college sports editor at uh, DraftKings. Um, so uh, DraftKings Nation, I should say. Um, so what we are is a website that covers sports, not just from a sports betting perspective, but completely and holistically. Um, but we do certainly, um, we're not afraid to throw a spread into an article every once in a while or maybe a total. Um, and while uh, DraftKings is not a legal sports book outlet here in Florida, which we will talk about, you no, know, which we which we will discuss, um, it is a uh, a product as sports betting continues to be expanded um, over the last five six years uh, after the Supreme Court's um, ruling in the UIGEA case. Uh, state by state, we're getting legalized sports betting across America, and it continues to expand. But here in Florida. Um, we only have one provider, one outlet, and that may not be the best situation for consumers. Yeah, one might call it a monopoly. And, one uh, we'll, would call it a monopoly. We'll, we'll be getting into that. <laughs> Listen, the listeners uh, out there, as a reminder, 813-239-9663. Please feel free to call in. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text at 813-433-0885. We do want to hear from you. And uh, just real quick to start off, we're going we're gonna to torture our listeners just with a little bit. If you've been watching television lately, you've probably been inundated with Hard Rock's awful earworm of a commercial about how Hard Rock Bet is legal in Florida, which Colin was alluding to earlier. And uh, just to make us all exercise just a little bit of masochism, uh, let's take a brief listen to that terrible commercial. Yeah, as they mentioned, it is the only one that legal. It, they said they say it a couple times. They they really want to let you know. <laughs> it's like they have to remind themselves. Like, oh my god, we can we can get away with this now. It's legitimately um, incredible that they have a full monopoly for the next twenty some years. I believe it is thirty year compact. Correct? It thirty year. I believe it was. It was thirty years. So we're, they've got twenty nine more years of being the only place where you can bet on a game. Um, in the entire state of Florida. Legal, would, now, legal is, there's some machination. There. I think people <laughs> talk about legal. Um, and I, basically, if you look at most state federal law, it is illegal to take a bet. If you are a bookie, it is illegal to take a bet. If you're, you know, your barber or your whomever that you possibly be working with as a, what the late great Chris Thomas would call a short-term investment broker. Um, <clears throat> if you're working with somebody like that and they're taking a bet, that's illegal. But making a bet, being the person who actually makes the wager, that is for the most part considered pretty legal um, in most states and most jurisdictions. So keep that in mind. Even if you bet with somebody else, you're probably okay. I, I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. But <laughs> He just plays one on television. I, I just play one on the radio. And <clears throat> I think most people would, most lawyers, most people who are in the space would say making a bet is not illegal. Taking a bet, however, 
becomes very illegal. It becomes a federal a federal crime pretty quickly. Well, let's give people just briefly like a, a brief history course, a crash course, if you will, on what the history of gaming here is in the state. And in 1978, uh, Florida voters, they fully rejected a full-scale casino gambling constitutional amendment. Uh, this happened again in 1986 when Florida voters again rejected a full-scale casino gambling amendment. However, in 1986, on that same ballot, uh, the voters did approve the lottery. And in 1988, the lottery did begin operation. In that same year, 1988, a great year, particularly because I was born in it, therefore making it spectacular. Uh, the federal government passed the Indian Gaming Regu Regulatory Act, which legalized any form of gambling in Florida. It also allowed playing the game through an electronic device. And because of that, the Seminole tribe started installing video lottery machines in tribal facilities. So in 1988, you kind of have the origins of what you might consider modern gaming, I guess, in the state. And we've just had this I mean, I guess you could call it a stagnation over the last 35 years up until this revelation in the last couple months. Why don't you tell people a little bit more about how the dynamics of sports gaming in the state has changed over the recent couple last year, really? Well, it, basically, it's it, through a, a series of processes. Remember, the, the Hard Rock had a, an app that was legal for about three, four weeks uh, <laughs> during the I believe it was the 2022 football season. 23. Was it 23? Might Thank them for their many weeks of service. There are many weeks of service. Um some of us may have had a Kansas win total future bet canceled because they just like said, oh, this is illegal now. Here's your money back. And I had I believe I had already had enough wins to cover the the bet. Um, so it it basically the the Seminole tribe um, has a, a full monopoly. And the only the only way by agreement with the state of Florida um, in exchange for a license fee. Um, and included with that license fee is also the ability to have craps, blackjack, or craps, roulette, and other gaming, uh, what they call class three gaming um, in the state of Florida. They're the only allowed. And um, that may change. Um, they're in the compact, it says as long as um, another outlet is more than, I believe, it's 15 or 20 miles away from. Which uh, is something we'll be getting into uh, in a little bit as well. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, from another. Uh, gaming out and uh, any other legalized gaming entity um they can basically you know uh, have full full run and in exchange for that they're just going to pay a flat fee to the state of florida every year um because it is a flat fee there's not a lot of oversight so um as uh you have an unregulated monopoly base i mean and, you know to, to sort of call it what it is right you kind of have an unregulated monopoly operating a multi-billion dollar industry in yes. this state, I mean, we're the third most populated state in the country. People are, you know, coming. People are not only gaming who are from here, people are traveling here and then looking forward to the opportunity to game. I mean, I think that's a reality. We are a state that encourages, you know, tourism and promotion of a lot of athletic events, especially in the cold season that we're in now. And yeah, these guys are operating an unregulated monopoly over a multi-billion dollar industry. And there seems to be very little conversation about lack of oversight or regulation or what's going to become of this. I mean, and we're going to get into in a little bit how this is sort of being challenged by the, or there was an attempt to challenge this in the Florida state legislature that was unsuccessful. Right. So give us a little bit more about like the nature of the monopoly and we'll sort of segue into the uh, Fontainebleau fiasco as we're going to call it. So I, I think you might, you might even want to, to, to back up even more. So when, when the lottery was passed in 86, and I believe it was 87 or 88 when they, for, 88. They, 88 when they finally started selling tickets, um, I was living in Orlando at the time. And it was, I remember going to my bus stop to get to, to middle school 
and you would just see piles of people outside the the gas station just lined up down the block to try and buy lottery tickets because there was such a pent up demand for some legal way to get down a bet in the state of Florida. Um, I am a I'm a big proponent of the license regulating tax. Look, let's handle gambling the same way that we handle cigarettes, the same way we handle alcohol, because as we have seen with certain, you know, with drugs, with other things, if if you try and completely ban and take it away, it doesn't work. Yeah, you you, know? you've just created a black market. I mean, that Correct. seems to be whether, you know, you look at prohibition or a million other things historically, right? You are not going to be able to contain the desire for humans to engage in vice. I mean, that's just an honest reality. If people can pursue it, they will pursue it. You cannot legislate morality. Jason, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. I, I paid for a lot of my college tuition playing in a poker game in, in my in Lakeview Oaks apartment complex up in, in, in by the University of Florida, go Bulls. Um, so I, I truly believe that if you don't have a way um, to give people an outlet to do something, then, then we have a real problem. So I, I do want to see some, I, I'm glad that there is at least a legal outlet now. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a positive. I think for the most part, the Hard Rock's been pretty responsible. Yeah, they're just going to put a lien against your house. They're not going to break your kneecaps. It's a different generation. <laughs> Correct, right. I, and, you know, I mean, we've seen some things in, in Nevada where, you know, people take out markers in Nevada and then they don't pay them back. And then, you know, you have 30 days to pay your marker back in Nevada. And for our mutual friend, it's, uh, how do you pronounce that state one more time? Nevada. There you go. Thank you. Yes, it is. It, if you say Nevada, they know you're not from there. John Kerry, you're listening. <laughs> Correct. Um, but it, it is, you know, over there. And then that is like public record. It's basically, it's like bouncing a check basically. And it becomes public record and people, you know, get in trouble. Um, haven't really seen that as much um, here. I, I do think, you know, every casino, um, every gaming entity, there are certainly concerns. Um, you know, and by the way, I'm speaking personally here. This is not anything with DraftKings. I, you know, work, I, my paycheck actually says Vox Media. DraftKings pays Vox, Vox pays me. But Ooh, what an elaborate chain. It is an elaborate chain. But uh, I, so th anything that I say here, I am not speaking as a representative of DraftKings in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Thank this you for that clarity. Me as a, a longtime Tampa resident and somebody who um, cares about the space. Um, so I, I, I like the model. I kind of like where we're going. But when, when we passed that, that lottery bill in 88, I, I think it showed the pent-up demand. And then you talk about the video lottery terminals. I remember when I went to USF, my original freshman year, took me a little while to graduate. I did get it done, <laughs> but it took a while. Um, but my original freshman year, I remember at age 18, you could go to a hard rock, which is... Basically, I I can't even describe it for you, Jason. You might remember because you were you were living. I just find it to be. I find that place to be purgatory with a wonderful council oak in the middle of it. It's like great stakes surrounded by chain smoking pensioners gambling away their last lifelines. So take take the the chain smokers, but put them in a building that looks like it was thrown together in about in about an hour and a half design meeting where there are just piles of terminals going all the way around a massive poker room where the most you could win in any single pot was ten dollars <laughs> okay well that's big that's big spenders right there so look out that's two subway sandwiches Colin. it was it was two five dollar footlongs at the time and you they would literally play once the pot got to ten dollars the dealer would say no more betting and run out the board and at this point, we were still playing seven-card stud. A lot of people were still playing seven-card stud at this point, but it was hold them at seven-card stud. And 
I believe the it was ten dollars in the pot. They would like rake another dollar out of it or something like that, and then you had to tip a dealer on top of that. It was the most unbeatable poker game in the history of the world. They would have what they called tournaments, and the tournaments weren't like a tournament where okay, eventually one player gets all the chips and it's over. Um, it was okay, we're going to play this many hands because we have to play this many hands to distribute this many ten dollar pots. And it was a like single table tournaments. It was a wild, wild setup. It was, and I cannot describe. People, I, some old Tampanians may remember. Tampanians will fight over that. Tom, well, we are this, in this neighborhood. It's definitely Tampanian. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think some old Tampanians will remember. It was the most depressing place in the world. Like the it heart, still the, is. Well, it's the, still not much no, has changed, it, Jason, my friend. It's I, just a good steak. Jason, I'm telling you, it was so bad. It was <laughs> the the underbelly of gambling, but so much worse. Now, I never used the video terminals, and I would occasionally play some poker, and I'm a pretty good poker player. Yes, but I there was no confirm. way you could beat the game. There was absolutely no way the game was beatable whatsoever. There was no chance of being a professional poker player at that hard rock. Um, people were basically playing to try and hit the Royal Flush. Um, so that was one evolution. In 2000, and I believe it was 2010, um, the law was changed in 2009 or 2010. The law was changed where we could now play poker, regular Ooh. poker in the state of Florida. And at that point, the hard rock had become somewhat more of a reputable outlet. It was it went from the barn, the the smoke filled depressing barn, to an actual hard rock facility, which has now been expanded and expanded and expanded and again. Uh, to my understanding, the plan is to eventually what to to guitar that the same way they've guitared their outlet down in what plantation, if I'm not mistaken. It's in Hollywood, but Hollywood, um, there you the go. I don't know if they're gonna guitar this one. I know that the guitar in Vegas is now something under question as they continue to pivot the, the mirage oh, to the hard rock I, which i will miss uh, of course all right. uh, that's right i got you right yeah there. it was a great place that, yeah um but, so, but hold on. Let's, so we sort of circled a little bit on like gaming past why don't we sort of catch people up on what's going on with this fiasco with the fontainebleau and these challenges to the monopoly that we've been referencing um, sure. like you know, to, to give people some understanding on the 31st uh there was uh it was sort of announced literally at a miami city beach meeting mm -hmm. that the legislation that would have potentially allowed the Fontainebleau to have gambling was not going to be heard by the Senate, and therefore it was basically DOA. And this was a really bizarre battle of Miami Beach billionaires going at one another through the legal sphere and through literally our governmental entities in order to combat whether or not there should be gambling on the city of Miami Beach. And just real quick, I'll say, if our listeners are out there and do want to call in, this is a quick reminder, 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or Texas at 813-433-0885. I'm here with my very good friend, Colin Sherwin. We are talking about the past, present, and future of sports gambling and gambling in Florida. And uh, if you have anything to say about this, call in. We'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, the, the Miami Beach thing is super interesting. First of all, the the, the Fountain Blue, and it is Fountain Blue. It is not Fountain Blue. Fountain it is Blue. Not, it is, Am it I is, churching it up? It, 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 you are, and, and I did as well. <laughs> I churched I did it for up. A while. I'd stayed in the place, and I, and I was pronouncing it wrong. Blue. Um, but it is Fountain Blue. Fountain. See, that sounds so much. This is terrible marketing right there. <laughs> this sounds so much. It's the Fountain Blue. Fountain yeah. Blue. It, yeah, it is not. There is no French. Don't French it at all. Even though it's spelled a little, it looks like yeah. it's spelled French. It's actually pronounced full right. English. It is more you know. Um, and as we're seeing with their current, um, let's just say they're having some issues in Nevada. 
presently with their brand new facility that opened in December. Um, they have turned over basically all of the top management twice, and they've been open about six weeks. Which, which <laughs> so. I mean, uh, not to certain that's a segue, but to my understanding, the, the Sphere was having some more issues. They they fired their CFO not that long ago, even though James Dolan kills everything that he touches. Right, and and. And the Sphere had their new revenue numbers came out and they took a one-time charge and they took another hit. Um, but I do think the Sphere in the long run is going to be okay. Um, they're, they're not going to make They just got the Grateful profit. Dead, so they're going to be seeing me sometime this summer most likely. The Dead, the, and they got Fish as well, which I mean, if you're, look, that's not really my, <laughs> not, not my kind of music. All and, of the hippies invading <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> Correct. Um, but I, I would think that if you were using certain substances, the Sphere... Um, would probably be the place to go see <laughs> bands like The Fair. Dead and Fish. Fair um, enough. If that's your thing. Like, I can't imagine a better facility anywhere in the world. I feel like that building would have killed a medieval peasant just just, just to be inside. <laughs> Awe would just shock them into death. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I, I'm, I'm actually, as you know, Jason, I'm heading out. Um, I go out for the entire month of March every year for college basketball, and uh, I will be in Vegas. I cannot wait to, to see the sphere in person. I've seen it from the outside. I've done all that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, um, we, when we were last there, we were watching it sort of begin to come yeah. to life. It was like sprouting, well, I'll call it, but it still wasn't quite a blossom yet. You're now right. it's like, it's, I mean, it's pretty incredible to behold even from just your phone, like just to see this giant glowing aura. But yeah, let's talk, let's circle back to the Fontainebleau <laughs> and let's talk about, uh, you know, what's going on there with the with Florida gaming, because this is still pretty crazy. As you mentioned, it's a, a battle between Miami billionaires that was fought out in front of our state legislature. I, you know who I, I think might have a, a better perspective on this than any of us is uh, Billy Corbin. Um, if you listen yeah. to his podcast um, that he does every week for the, the Levitard folks um, and Metal Arc Media, he's talked about how they're intent, sort of looking to intentionally blight Miami Beach. And so they're doing this. They're trying to actually have one of America's great tourism destinations sort of run down a little bit so developers can come in, buy it up conduit to the roofs you know what i mean um just like they have, i mean i don't think brickle was intentionally blighted but you see what brickle has become where it's just like i'm not mad at it brickle yeah. and winwood are the only two parts of miami i find myself able to stand and i love i love brickle in miami too or in winwood too but the the issues with that is is that they have not built the the requisite infrastructure that you need when you are certainly on limestone that is sinking and there is no way to get around, like the the traffic patterns and and the lack of infrastructure there is like so they're a massive. Intentionally problem. blighting Miami Beach this in is order Corbin's to what? Theory. This is, I you know bulldoze not, it, buy it at a cheap sale. Correct. This is this is Corbin's theory. Um, I don't. I'm not close enough to it to have an opinion there. I'm not sure. Um, but that is certainly what he says. Is that and, and it's and we're not just talking you know up the beach a little at, at Fountain Blue. We're talking like down Ocean Drive, you know, all the way down the Collins, all the way to the south, south end of the I beach. I mean, those are those Art Deco hotels that are of Miami's vice fame. I mean, it's part of the reason why, you know, we think about Miami as this glowing neon metropolis right. of good cigars and beautiful women and cheap I, drinks. I was down now there. expensive drinks. Yes, I, I was down there last year for a, a, actually for a fishing tournament, ironically, and I stayed at Fountain Blue. Um, and I thought it was... You know, I had already started to see what Miami Beach, the Miami Beach of 10 and 15 years ago, it's not what it once was. And you could even see it in the beach, like the erosion at the beach, like even in front of the Fountain Blue, which is, you would think like should be this amazing long stretch of sand. It's it's eroded. There's no beach anymore. Well, I mean, it's just, it's been shrunk and they have it while they're replenishing the beach and they're doing beach replenishment down, you know, 12th Avenue, 10th Avenue and South. Um 
they're not really doing it on the north side of the beach, and you can, and it's just not feasible. Nearly, it's, and you're throwing sand at water. Yeah, and it's just continuing to erode, and I, that entire area, it's just you can see little things that are just sort of checking off and coming out. I think that it's interesting um, that basically the establishment of Miami Beach was against yeah. bringing in gang. I was going to say, uh, to, to quote here the Tampa Bay Times, during the Miami Beach City Commission meeting on Wednesday evening in which uh, the legislation failed, Mayor Steve Miner cut away from the regular agenda to announce there was breaking news on the gambling session. And when it was announced that it would not be heard, quote, the news drew cheers from those attending the meeting at the Miami Beach Convention Center just two miles south of the Fontainebleau. Yeah. So, I mean, what we're, see- what we're seeing is this community did not want gaming there. And, and to touch qu- quickly on what you said earlier, the proposed legislation that failed, if approved, would have let gaming permit holders transfer their permits to a new location within 30 miles and would have overrode any local government restrictions on gambling. Gaming facilities have been banned citywide in Miami Beach since 2017. So this was pretty landmark. We're talking about, you know, kind of the community quietly on a grassroots level and with some moneyed interests Mm -hmm. going up to Tallahassee and helping kill uh, this legislation that would have kind of not just opened up gaming in Miami, but would kind of would have allowed a bit of a wild west to some extent on who would have been able to and where you would have been able to have gaming. Well, it's not like the state of Florida to come in and override local governments. That's that's just not something that we do here. I mean, you know, we are. are. (laughs) Didn't know we had drops, buddy. Yeah, yeah, man, I have the power. Behold, (laughs) behold. Um, So, excuse me, I I think that... uh, what we have found in in gaming in this state is that the state Tallahassee wants to control everything as much as they can. Absolutely. Um, and so, the interesting side of that is is that they have made this deal with the tribe, um, who I believe have I, the donation records of the tribe. I think are something that we should all possibly take a look at as well. Um, I have you look. I have no problem with tribal gaming. I, I think it is a Imperfect, though, much better than but any no, other but, solution. But as we've discussed, no regulation, limited, if at all, oversight. And these guys are making billions of dollars, if not billions, certainly hundreds of millions of dollars every year, as we've discussed in this unmitigated monopoly. And I'll just say really quickly, just to, to sort of build on what we were talking about with uh, with Miami, this was a bipartisanly opposed effort. There were both yeah. Republicans and Democrats that were not willing to see this through. And it's it's quite telling that the you know the the people of Miami Beach you know this is a, a very mixed area but we're not you know red and blue we're pretty singularly united against this so I mean where do you think that like what kind of inferences can you make for that for the future of of gaming in in Florida I mean are we going to see you know as we mentioned Tallahassee does like to dominate can we perhaps anticipate some more store you know state oriented heavy handedness with gambling legislation in the future. I think the only way we're going to see change is ballot initiative. And as you know, which have become more difficult, which has become more difficult because now we're at that 60% threshold, which was backed by Disney along with no casinos and some other um, entities that really wanted to 
um, make it so that it, as difficult as possible to bring gaming to the state of Florida. Disney. Now, well, part on, of that is the part of that opposition is what the idea of like making Disney or, or at least Florida perhaps a less family friendly tourist location is that's what, what what is the orientation of Disney's opposition? Because I feel like if Disney could get a cut of that, they would they would get into it immediately. You'd be gambling on Mickey Mouse slots or Steamboat Willie slots tomorrow. You're, from your lips to what I've always said, Disney's position on gaming has always puzzled me. Because for me, what are I, adults supposed to do? Well, I, as well, the kids are. <laughs> I, I, you know, I went to high. I did a little bit of elementary school, and and all of my my last three years of high school in Orlando. Um, I worked at Disney um, after uh, I graduated high school. Um, Disney's position on gaming has always fascinated me, because for me, find a better revenue driver than taking Disney Springs or a part of Disney Springs or what was Pleasure Island, you know, um, that area, that portion, portion of Disney Springs and turn it into the Aladdin Casino and make it the, the All those conventions. Place. I mean, all of those conventions Everything. that come into that area for a million reasons. Isolate it in one part of your, you know, 43 square miles of, of property um, that you used to basically have you wouldn't have gaming control, but um, that you basically have full control over before uh, DeSantis got involved and turn it into just a, an adult paradise, like a true adult paradise. Like what Pleasure Island was with, with booze, throw some, throw some table games and some slots in there, keep it all in one area. You know what I mean? So that, and then also, oh, you're going to bring your kids. Well, here's this fantastic water park where you can drop your kids off while you go degen it up for a few hours and then come back and come get the kids who are like, you know, bouncing off the wall somewhere. Let grandma and grandpa take them to the water park. Well, mommy and daddy have a good day. <laughs> you know, and I can I can see the downsides as well. You know, Vegas very famously in the in the early 90s tried to go to this family friendly um, that's why Which the is Luxor this. is beautiful. That's why Excalibur <laughs> exists. Um, and it did not work out well. You know, basically, Bobby and Daddy were going to the tables. And those are now the two probably worst places on the strip. And then college funds were drying up pretty quickly. So I, I do understand um, why Nevada, and it didn't work out in Vegas and Nevada. And now, you know, if you are a, a kid, I, I, you know, I have a. Um, a relative who um, enjoys basketball and I, I'm like, I'm coming to Vegas. I'm going to Vegas for the month. I'm going to watch a ton of college basketball. I'm going to go see five conference tournaments. I'm going to do all this stuff. And if you're not 21, just don't go. Like there, there's no point if you're not 21 to be in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, I mean, as someone who went there as a child, I, I was there at 13. I can confirm. Yeah. There's like, like there's like an arcade. There's like the roller coaster at New York, New York, and you're done. You know what I mean? I, they wouldn't just, even let me sit at the sports book. I just stand on the outside. Yeah, and and that's probably a good thing. Um, but that's why I'm not a compulsive gambler. Yeah. I guess. Thank you, thank you. Regulations. Uh, but they but they have done a nice job of like sort of separating it now. It is an adult area. I don't under. But Disney's opposition to gaming. I I just think like with their resort, which is so holistic and so all inclusive, where you already have places where you can drop your kids off and have somebody watch them. I just never understood why they did. They haven't embraced it, but it has been Disney corporate policy from the beginning of time that they are just one hundred percent opposed to any expansion of gaming anywhere in Florida, and they are, of course, the biggest lobby. So, so let's ask this then: in an environment in which Disney's relationship with the powers that be in the state are not good to downright terrible, 
Mm-hmm. Could we see the power of that lobby diminish in in light of potential greater, you know, Seminole Hard Rock success? You know, if the if the the Seminole Tribe through the Hard Rock are raking in dollars, and there is an interest in bringing gaming back before the voters potentially, or perhaps before the legislature, or either or, you know, now that Disney is not in a position to push as hard as it did previously, I mean, could we see some some impetus there on maybe, like you said, maybe a ballot amendment coming? In the future? So there was an attempt at a ballot amendment in 2022 um, that did not even get on the ballot. That was a coalition of many different support, including DraftKings, um, DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM, a few of the other ones. Um, <coughs> buddy, I told you I need a cough button. I just still got a little, yeah, I'm getting over a cold here, buddy. This is, <laughs> how are you going to get me a I cough can't button? feel my face. That's pretty much where I'm at. Um, so I, I th- that not even getting on the ballot. Um, I think showed, and spending a lot of money, by the way, the amount of money that was spent to not get on the ballot was pretty prohibitive. Um, There have been challenges in California as well. You know, they did get a ballot initiative in California and the pushback from the tribal entities there was overwhelming. Um, Nine figures. Don't cut it on our turf. Yeah, that's basically where it was. And it was a coalition. It's different because, you know, mostly it is one tribe here. Whereas in California, there's, I think, 30-some that have some sort of form of legalized oh, wow. gaming. Yeah. And they came together and spent nine figures and just squashed, you know, some pretty back, heavily back money and interest like DraftKings and FanDuel and MGM and Caesar. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's and it's kind of shocking to see, you know, when, when circling back to Miami Beach briefly, you know, when you talk about the kind of money that is involved here, we're mm-hmm. talking one donor on one side is putting forth the money for DeSantis to jet set on his private plane. The other is is literally uh, arranging, apparently made arrangements to fly, potentially. The, uh, Ken Griffin has said, had made preparations to fly up to a hundred Miami City Beach residents up to Tallahassee to specifically help lobby against this bill. I mean, like, we're talking people here with a lot of money to play with on yeah. both sides of this issue. And, and this is, I... I I don't know if the Ken Griffins of the world are doing this from a morality, like they they don't want to see any expansion of gaming anywhere at any time. So he penned a letter to the editor in the Miami Herald where he's basically said that uh, this measure would, quote, let this legislature skirt the explicit will of the people, meaning, you know, violating what uh, the uh, constitutional amendments had placed in terms of the limitations on gaming. Well, then I I expect Ken Griffin to very much get behind many of the things that Tampa City Council wants to do um, (laughs) because, I, I mean, if he truly believes in local control... Yeah. Then I believe that we should probably be able to spend the the money that we get to allocated. Decide how we cut our own trees. To, yeah, decide where what we do with our own all for transportation dollars. Yes, I believe um, things like all for transportation and and the you know finding people for cutting down hundred year old oak trees in South Tampa. Um, that should probably be under the purview of local government. If we truly believe in local control, then let's believe in local control. Yeah, they believe in local control only when it's convenient. Yeah, I'm just saying that there might be a bit of, of hypocrisy. Just, a, just a teeny, tiny, tiny bit of sure. hypocrisy. But no, so uh, but circling back to just briefly before we started, maybe to like to segue a little bit into into the Bucks and the future of the CIT. Let's just sort of just wrap this up. What do you think is the future for gaming in Florida? What you know? What do you think people can expect over the coming years? Do you, I mean, as you mentioned, twenty twenty two, the failure of that. Do you think that's going to be? Is it going to be a generation before we see another attempt at getting gaming licensed here? Are we going to see legal challenges to the seminal monopoly? Well, you know, give you know, uh, hit your crystal ball and predict the future for us a little bit. So I, I think the 
a, a legal challenge to the Seminole monopoly has already failed. And I think that that's, that ship has sailed. Um, if there is going to be some change, it would either be through the legislature, which would be getting more gaming friendly legislators, possibly a Democrat, Democratic governor who might want to expand the pie a little bit. Remember, this is a massive generator of revenue for so many states now. You know, call, you, and the difference is, is that everybody say, oh, you got one place to bet, you got 10 places to bet. Um, well, I mean, the question to, is, do people not see it as like a Rob Peter to pay Paul thing? Well, you know, you're taking money out of the community, you know, people gambling their paychecks at the casinos. Sure, it might go to like education or roads, but it's like, you know what I mean? Are you sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul to some extent? But but even, I would say even more than that, that the difference is, is that if you go to a state like Colorado, if you go to Pennsylvania, where there are, you know, dozens of books available, the, the competition between them is so much more consumer friendly. If you sign up, you know, in for a Caesars account in Pennsylvania and you put $1,000 in it, if you lose your first bet, they're going to send you $1,000 back. You know what I mean? Or if you win your first bet, congratulations, you get to keep the money. Because the value in them is getting you with that kind of money as a reliable customer as opposed to you making a single bet and cashing out Correct. And losing. They're, they're, that is just part of their customer acquisition costs. And, the first and hit all, is free. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> that may be one way to put it. But the having all of that competition in an area is definitely good for the consumer. There's also consumer protections that are involved. So uh, I'll give you a brief example that happened this weekend. The Pebble Beach, AT&T Pebble Beach tournament only went three days. Usually they go four. They play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They only play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The weather was so bad on Sunday and Monday. Monsoon basically came into Monterey Peninsula. The course was completely unplayable. What a bunch of sharp gamblers did was took the top 10 players that had finished, you know, one through 10 in the tournament and said, well, after three rounds, I'm going to bet all of these guys finish in the top 10 and just hope nobody else gets to play golf on, on Sunday. They did it. $100 bet turned into like $1.3 as a parlay because they parlayed all 10 of them together. Oh, my God. Yeah. Genius. Um, this is why I got to move to a legal state sometimes. I would have <laughs> thought of that. So they... I mean, listen, if you can make money on women's volleyball, you can make money on anything. Like, who are you kidding? I had a really good women's volleyball tournament this year. So um, I I think that, uh, so what these guys did is they, you know, they took these $100 parlors, turned them into multi, you know, seven figures. Um, that was, now the sports books are saying, well, that's not fair. We shouldn't have to honor that bet. The betters are saying it's your responsibility to take the market down. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I don't know where I land on this because I think this one's pretty close. There are certainly times where I think, you know, I'm very much in favor of the player. This one's a little dodgy. I feel like that it's their it's their responsibility to invalidate the bet. It if, is they, their, they, well, if they keep it up and people, you know, feel that they've rightfully won, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to, to bet, a, you know, to side against the player. Hang a, hang a number, take the hit is what we always say, you know, um, as bettors. It's like, if you hang the number, take the hit. And I would say, but this this specific case, I think, is a little bit questionable. But in those states, those players have protection. So if you go to Massachusetts Gaming and say, hey, look, I have a ticket, says top 10 players, the rules that were posted say if they play more than 36 holes, it counts. Tell me what I'm missing here. Um, so if you have the players on one side and you have the game, gaming on the other and somebody, there is at least a government regulator there to advocate. Um, that's not going to happen in Florida. You know, you, if you make that, that bet or that protected bet, you know, if there is something that is controversial, 
you know... They can just say, we don't owe you anything, and you have no one to... There's no you, oversight committee or anybody to go to. You pretty much don't have a lot of re- recourse wow. in the state of Florida. Um, it is going to be up to the Hard Rock. And and, and you know, I don't there think is the some, Hard Rock is siding with you. <laughs> right. And, and and I don't like your chances of, of having the Hard Rock, you know, get overruled by the state of Florida right now. I, I just don't think there's a lot of consumer protection in it. Um, states that have, you know, multiple operators, I think, are much, much more consumer friendly. And the other thing is, is, you know, as Bill Sparrows from, uh, I believe, Boston, uh, Bill, I believe, works for Boston.com. As he pointed out yesterday, and I sent you this tweet, it's that... Um, we don't know how much is going to be better on the Super Bowl in the state of Florida because the Hard Rock doesn't have any incentive or reason to release those figures. So when we're looking at, you know, whatever one point some billion dollars is going to be legally better on the Super Bowl on Sunday, we just don't know how much is that is going to come from Florida. And that's probably an issue. So how much I mean, money I would be, say quite certainly an issue. How much money um, is going to, you know, uh, according to... One estimation, um, $1.25 billion will be legally wagered, legally wagered on this year's Super Bowl. I remember the, 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 gray <laughs> and, there. the gray and black markets are still probably overwhelming the, the legal markets at this point. Um, not overwhelming as much anymore, but still a lot. Um, Nevada will have about 13% of the handle, um, and, and, but we just don't know. But we don't know what Florida will be. We just don't legal know how much money they're going to take in. How much – so then – how can we set a revenue number that is appropriate and fair so that the taxpayers get as much money as they can? You know, in New York, the tax rate on sports betting is 51%. Um, you know, and that I, money is going towards legitimate improvements in the community, ideally, like infrastructure investments, like educational investments, sure. parks and now, rec. 51 is too high because they're going to have they're gonna have problems in New York with overhead and operation and, and that's net revenue. So like it's- uh, In other words, what it'll drive, yeah. you know, uh, only the uh, only the people with the big deep pockets, pockets will be able to keep their businesses alive with that kind of model. Yeah, I, I think 51 is too high, but I think like some states are at 10 and that's too low. So it should probably fall somewhere in the 20s to so 20s to 30s, probably somewhere in there in terms of net revenue. Um, so it's somewhere where operating costs are, are they're able to be covered. Because I mean, the, the point of this is you want people, if people aren't being hired, like, you know what yeah. I mean? It's not putting people to work when really what's the point of all of this? Sure. I, it, not just putting people to work, but also like, you know, how much revenue are we going to, you know, in this, all of the federal money from COVID is now gone. And the state budget yep. will be smaller this year than it was in the past. Oh, listen, they'll years. find a way to sweep the Sadowski fact. They'll find a way to sweep the Sadowski fund and, you know, balance our budget on the backs of poor people who need affordable housing. I mean, that you ain't lying. But what I'm saying is, is that if we don't know how much money is coming in the door, we don't know how to tax it appropriately. We don't know how to take the right revenue model out. That to me is the issue, is that like, what should the taxpayer be netting out of this process? If we're going to have legalized gaming, and I believe in license regulate tax, I also believe that the for the social good, we should have the maximum revenue possible. And we just don't know what that number is because those numbers aren't released. Yeah, and, and it, it takes a government to be willing to fight the powers that be or, or perhaps, you know, maybe not bite, but certainly take a nibble at the hand that feeds them and be willing to investigate and, you know, legislate some actual policy there that allows for real oversight. Because, yeah, I mean, you would think as a taxpayer in the state of Florida, you would be entitled to have a, a true understanding of how much the state is netting as a result of gaming that the Seminoles are conducting here in our state. Right. And it just, it's it's a little bizarre. I mean, it, it feels very Kafka-esque that we have this very, you know, 
odd and vague runaround where nobody really has an understanding of what's going on. But we do know that some people are going to be making an exorbitant amount of money, Mm -hmm. not just on the Super Bowl, but on sports gaming in the state in the future, especially if their monopoly continues. Absolutely. So real quick, let's just sort of segue, you know, briefly, you know, I'll I'll say very, very quickly again, uh, for any listeners out there who do want to call in 813-239-9663, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text at 813-433-0885. We do want to hear from you again, me and Colin here, we have been talking about uh, the past, present, and future of gaming here in the state of Florida. And we're going to sort of segue a little bit. Uh, On Saturday, uh, we lost Joe Cholera Jr., who was one of the architects of the CIT tax that uh, the county commission will be working around over the next couple months and will ideally be putting before us on a, on a ballot sometime in the near future. Uh, there are indicators that uh, even a conservative four to three Republican board will be supportive of the CIT uh, as indicated from a, a meeting two weeks ago. Uh, even the most conservative uh, commissioner, Joshua Wolstel, was able to uh, you know get out of his monopoly car and uh, make his way down to the county commission and cite that he would be supportive of a 10-year community investment tax, which, I mean, frankly, is not going to solve it. But, yeah, I mean, point. just on a greater level, uh, sort of discuss, like, you know, oh, we do have a call. Let's see. Oh, well, we'll have to see. We might have we might have a listener who Ooh, wants to call fancy. in. Exciting. But uh, I'll just say it does feel like as the CIT begins to expire, we're going to have a really serious conversation about whether or not we're going to be supportive of a new Buccaneer stadium. Uh, Raymond James has been there for some time. And you know, are we going to be supporting the Glazers? You know, they're a billionaire family. Are we going to be giving them you know, opportunities? But uh, before we do that, we have uh, Carl, who's uh, better from Dunedin. Uh, Carl, uh, you are on the air, sir. What, do you have a question for us? Carl, are you there, sir? Carl? Carl? Yes. All right, we got you, Carl. What do you got to say? Oh, am I on the radio? You are, sir. Carl from Dunedin. Well, it's very interesting that you have this topic. Um, I, I think the state and the Seminoles have a death grip on sports betting, um, I use a bookie, you know, old-fashioned, you know. I don't, I don't use national, international, state, anything. But um, I just think it's a shame that the, the state and the Seminoles want to monopolize betting as a whole, not just sports betting. Anyway, that's my comment. No, no. Thank you very much, Carl. We appreciate you calling in. And listen, you protect those knees just in case anything goes wrong with that bookie. <laughs> I've been told the kneecap is a very particularly painful place to be shot. <laughs> thank you very much. Not a problem. You be safe. Yeah, uh, Carl, I agree. Um, I I just want to see as many providers as possible. You know, I'm sitting here as I'm looking. Um, I have software that gives me basically every line from every book in the world. Jason's seen it before. I have. It's insane. It's, it's com- very Rain Man-esque. <laughs> I mean, really. Kiwi, Kiwi never crashed, said Colin. Uh, it is, you know, I basically have everything that you need, every every possible bet that you could possibly make anywhere in the world, um, all in, you know, one software program. And that... That for me, I I want people to be able to win. And the more options that people have, you know, the bookmakers will make their money, you know, because when you win, you win a hundred dollars, but when you lose, you lose 110. And that ten dollars adds up 
<clears throat> to millions and millions and billions of dollars over the course of a year. I want the bookmakers based on their ability to set numbers that are accurate and appropriate. Um, that's how I want them to be able to make money. And I want the consumers to be able to round those numbers into shape. Um, that's how markets are supposed to work. You know, I am, you know, certainly aggressive, but I believe in markets and I believe that having markets is what um, this should be. Well, listen, we have another call. We got uh, DeAndre. DeAndre, you are on the air, sir. How are you doing? Well, calling from Brandon. Let's see, DeAndre, do we have you? DeAndre, sir. Yes, hello. I, uh, thank you for uh, discussing this, uh, ha uh, having a forum on this. No, we appreciate I, you calling. Right on. Thank you, man. Um, I, I just wanted to point out there, like, I'm agnostic, but, like, I come from, like, some deep, like, Black Baptist roots. And um, running numbers, like, in the project, that's, a, that's like a thing. That was a thing you know, uh, for, for decades, for decades. But it was a very great issue legally. But, I, you know, it's also, you know, very problematic when it comes to religiosity yeah. in the black community. And then in general, you know, when it comes to, like, the persons who practice Christ, Christendom and, and such, Protestant Christendom, uh, I, I guess particularly, it just seems weird given all the, you know, pseudo-religious po politics that's going on, that this succeeded. But at the same time, I'm totally pro, like, sovereign people, you know, not having to answer to anybody. You know what I mean? Not necessarily, you know. No, listen, like, as, you, as we said earlier, DeAndre, you can't legislate morality, right? You know, if people are going to want to make these choices, whether for good or ill, right? They're probably going to make them whether or not some, you know, governmental authority figure tells them they cannot. Well, for a long time, you know, I'm just going to say this, there are government authority figures saying not until it was like, uh, like a huge payout opportunity, you know, and that's that, that back and forth in that, you know, historically, I just, I, it's what it is, man. But I just wanted to react to that. Uh, no, man, I appreciate you calling. So, yeah, DeAndre, right. I, I, look, I, I kind of grew up the same way. I, I, I was, <laughs> the reason I got involved in, the, my first trail experience with gaming was selling rip-off cherry tickets, like paper tickets at the St. Pius 10th bingo in Havertown, Pennsylvania. Um, that's sort of how I got uh, into this industry. And, you know, the Catholic Church has um, been basically been run on, on gambling and forms of gambling as a massive revenue generator for, generations um tampa uh, as a city you know you talk about running numbers in the in neighborhoods bolita was a massive part of the economy of this city for the first you know 70 years of the 20th century um i gambling's just always been there as a presence and you know when we try and you know legislate it out or or say no and, and ban it, I think we just see that it it's ineffective. People are going to find a way to bet. You know what I mean? It's just going to happen. Yeah. I mean, um, just as the, the previous gentleman said, you know, he uses a bookie and it doesn't sound like the legal parameters mattered to whether or not he was going to be able to participate. And the thing about like a, a local guy like that is like, you know, certainly it, I may have may or may not have had some exposure to local gentlemen who are short-term investment brokers in the Tampa Bay area over many years. Um, they're playing, you're playing on credit. So like you don't have to put up the cash, you don't have to post anything, you know, and you just, if, if you win, you get paid on Tuesday or Wednesday. And if you owe them, you pay them on Monday. I mean, it's like, you know, that's just kind of how these things work. And so you, since you don't have to put the cash up, 
you just sort of, you know, deal with these things. And now that's all shifted to the internet too. It used to be, you'd actually have to call a guy. Now it's all done on the internet. <laughs> now you don't have to call a guy. You don't have to call a guy. You just do it on a website. Yeah. Well, DeAndre, listen, Great. thank you so much for your call, man. We appreciate you calling and you have a wonderful day. You too. So listen, we only have a few minutes left here, but uh, let's just sort of wrap up, uh, you know, our conversation about the CIT as we, as we can, yeah. you know, uh, what are we going to have? Our, our, you know, we are going to have a conversation, right, as a community in the next five to 10 years, if not potentially sooner, about the need from the Glazer family and the Buccaneers writ large to replace their stadium, build a new stadium, perhaps make some kind of large scale upgrades. You know, it is a stadium that is getting up there in age. And as we have these conversations about the CIT, I mean, like, I personally, you know, having my own limited political experience would say, I don't know if the public is there on supporting oh. this again. I, I think the days of large public subsidies for athletic stadiums are to some extent dead. If you can't find a way to come in there with at least, you know, 40 to 60% of the money, I don't think you're going to get a, a pub, find a public that is willing to subsidize it. You know, the economic studies just show that the investment rarely pays off in the way that it is intended. So uh, we can thank Jeffrey Loria, David Sampson, and the, and the Miami yeah, Marlins that is, for that's a great example. Wow, killing it in this state, um, and I think that's a good thing. I think what the A's are going through right now in Nevada, you know, they're going to tear down the Tropicana on April second, and they're going to try and build a ballpark on nine acres. How are you going to build a ballpark on nine acres? I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But I mean, um, no parking and very little exit infrastructure. It's basically just going to be a stadium and maybe some retail around it. I'm not really sure what else you can do. It's it's too. I mean, and the fact that there is now considerable backlash in the state of Nevada. Um, to the A's, to the subsidy that the A's are getting, which I believe is $750 million. Yeah, it's there. a lot of money. Look, I, Bob Buckhorn, I, 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 you know, I, I think he was a, a fine mayor. I don't agree with him on everything, but I think one of the things that he said that is completely correct is that the deal that the Bucks got in 1996 was should never happen again. It was a terrible deal for the city, for the county. Yeah, a certain octogenarian uh, refuses to stand in that building to this day. And, and you know what? I, I, I appreciate a man who stands on principle, um, but I, to me, you know what, guys? You, you want a little kickback from the, the revenue that you're generating. I mean, I, okay, you know what? We'll give you a little taste. You know what I mean? Like, we, Certainly, there is an economic impact. I went to two Eagle. I'm an Eagles fan. I went to two Eagles games at Ray J this year. I, you know, I went to dinner first. I paid for a ticket. I, you know, all in the area. I paid the park, whatever. I, you know, I was. I had some economic impact. The the, the Bucks generated that. Economic I mean, listen, impact. Taylor Swift and Beyonce don't come to Tampa unless they unless have they a have venue. A yeah, and, and so I mean, like, and this is one of the things where I, how I sort of feel about the CIT in, in, in past. Looking back. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you in the sense that it was a sweetheart deal that probably should not have been given. 100%. But looking reflexively backwards, it's also hard to say, like, where would Tampa be on the map if we didn't still have not just the Buccaneers, but the infrastructure that Raymond James allows. It's allowed USF to come play football down there for the last several years as they begin to prepare their stadium. You know, I mean, it's allowed for obviously large name concert venues or that we, I mean, we frankly would not have had. Sure. Those folks would have gone to Orlando or Miami and would have never come to the West Coast. And as, you know, anybody with the sports authority can tell you, those concerts are Massive enormous generators. economic yeah. generators. But remember, they are they are limited because you can only have so many outdoor shows that can fill up Ray J. I and mean, in a place where it 
you know, it rains. <laughs> weather yeah. weather is a factor here. For sure. And now that we're all go- also going to have a USF stadium, hopefully in 2027, um, there would be another outdoors. It would not be as nice as Ray J. And no, Taylor Swift would probably not play at the No, at Taylor US- Swift is not playing at USF. She's not playing at USF. And, and I get that. And, that. and for sure. That's why I'm okay with a little bit of a taste to go back. But basically, the Bucks got a $185 million stadium comped. That can't happen again. Fire the cannons. Yeah, fire the people who signed the deal. You know, it cost them $3 million just to build that pirate ship. Yeah, I remember. They used the same folks from Lucasfilm. And there was a thing where at the last minute they had to drop the the requirement, which was the first $2 million of non-Bucks revenue still went to the Bucks. And, you know, the name here, I mean, it was a whole thing. Like, for me, if you're going to – if we're going to invest – Let's invest in the downtown arena that's one of the busiest in the country. And by the way, Jeff Venter's going to need one too here pretty soon. I would much rather have a downtown arena and invest in something like that that's going to not just have 41 nights of hockey, but also so many other events, Drake on Friday night and everything else that comes through. To me, that's the way to go. If we're going to invest, invest in an indoor and also in somebody who's been a tremendous partner for the community, whereas I think with the Buccaneers and the Glazers, you can certainly question that. And I'll say, you know, to that effect, I definitely think the Glazers are not looked at in any way, shape or form with the kind of glowing reverence that uh, Jeff and Penny Vinnick are, who actually ironically just announced they are now finalizing their divorce today. So my my sadness for the Vinnick family after like 40 years of loving marriage, but, uh, you know, they've done a lot of wonderful things for the city. Unfortunately, though, we are running out of time. We had one caller coming at the end. Unfortunately, I apologize. We're just not going to have time, but thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, it's been awesome uh, being here. Thank you for joining the Danger Zone. I am Jason Marlowe. Uh, this is Great my name, good buddy. friend, Colin Sherwin. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate you uh, you know, giving us your time to hear sort of a little bit about what's been going on with gaming here in the state of Florida. And uh, you know, thank you guys so much. And until next time, y'all be well. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. Get their kicks Stomping on a dream But I don't let it Let it get me down Cause this fine old world It keeps spinning around well, real quick, before we do finally depart, I just want to give a big shout out to my former Down and Dirty member, John Dinkfelder, who uh, did not have the opportunity to speak. But we thank you for calling in uh, the Honorable John Dinkfelder, a good friend and a good man. Uh, thank you so much. And we really, again, want to thank the listeners for taking the opportunity to uh, join us for this conversation. Thank you, Sean, for giving us the opportunity to fill in. We very much appreciate it. 